Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague, Noel, is off on an adventure that I'm sure you'll hear about soon. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. This is a bit of a grab bag episode. Let's let's see, Matt, um, are we hearing this in 2021 are you and i recording in 2020 for an episode that comes out next year gee let me think (laughs) (laughs) yes yes this comes out this is an early episode in 2021 well congratulations everyone listening to this you've made it uh what what strange horizons await (laughs) Yeah, you made it past that arbitrary line in the sand that we drew between years. Uh, I think about that all the time, the way that calendars evolved. You know, historically, like there have always been New Year's celebrations, but uh, in in many ancient civilizations, the New Year was something closer to what we in the modern day would call March. And there was this, just this intense cartoonish series of events that led to January 1st becoming the day. So shout out to, uh, oh, I can't remember which pope it was, but shout out to them. Old so, Gregory. The the, 13th? Or, I'm just kidding. No, the Gregorian uh, calendar is what I'm referring to, but it's yeah. not a man named Gregory. It, it is cartoonish that we wouldn't start the new year in the spring when mm-hmm. life begins again. Why not? <laughs> why, why did we? No? Okay. In the middle of winter. Okay, cool. That Let's do that. Let's do yeah. that. <laughs> At least, again, that's my that's my uh, North American centric mind when when I'm talking about uh, seasons. Well, you and I have talked uh, off air before about uh, how arbitrary the current calendar is, and we've also talked uh, before. I can't remember whether this made it on air, but we 
we had some pretty great conversations about different calendars around the world. You know, it's it's uh, it is literally a different year and a different era uh, in various regions, various countries across this planet. Uh, we are still going to celebrate, though. Who does? You know what? I think at this point, everybody is thankful for a win. So let's all let's all moderately congratulate ourselves and let's stick together for 2021. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't matter if you're not going to celebrate. If you live anywhere near a major city, you will hear the new year rung in by the sound of your dog whimpering somewhere in your house. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because <laughs> all the boom booms. Um, ben, uh, before we jump in, yes, we've I've been listening to a lot of voicemails lately and mm-hmm. a lot of people reached out to us in early December, late November, asking about a particular book that we mentioned on an episode past right. about behavioral, not manipulation, uh, uh, weaponized psychology. <laughs> uh, do, we, do you remember at all the title of that, that book that we were referring to? I couldn't, I, I couldn't recall it. I do. I was looking at it earlier this weekend, in fact. And I hate to be the party pooper here, but I will not recommend that book on air, nor will I propagate its title. I will propose an alternative book that can give you a lot of the same information or mm, a good primer, a good intro. It's called You Say More Than You Think. This is a book by Janine Driver, and it studies... Well, it, it's somewhat of a, a of an applied approach to using body language in a mindful way for to accomplish certain desires, goals, and so on. The book you say more than you think it centers around a seven day plan for inculcating yourself with new habits, body language-wise, and then sticking with them, maintaining them, and growing them. For instance, if you are listening to today's podcast and you are sitting down, do us a favor. Do yourself a favor. Don't move. Don't move your body. But think of your feet. Be aware of your feet. Where are they? Are they splayed out? Are they crossed, maybe slightly beneath your chair? Which foot is the closest to the back of the chair? Or, if they're not crossed, which direction are your feet pointing in? And what's in that direction? Things like that. They're very small things. They're, they're things that uh, we don't often notice consciously unless we are trained to do so. Such as, you know, like if you are an FBI agent or you're someone who conducts uh, various types of interviews or interrogations or you're perhaps a trial lawyer, right? Uh, so that that's the book I would recommend in lieu of this. Again, I'm sorry to be a party pooper, but just I, I think you say more than you think is, uh, is a great and, uh, and a more wholesome way to to get involved with the analysis of body language. But do keep in mind, segue, that many wholesome things have disturbing origins. And that's what today's show is about. It's often said that a great crime is at the origin of every great fortune. And to a degree, this cliche rings true. So in this episode today, toward the very end of a very arbitrary calendar, <laughs> we are diving into skeletons uh, of some beloved or at least accepted and lauded institutions to uncover their strange, often troubled, very disturbing beginnings. Uh, spoiler alert, conspiracy realists, this does get crazy very, very quickly. Matt, how would you what would you say on a on a one to nine? Where are we at with that segue? Uh, let's see, one to nine. Hmm, hold on, let me check my. Okay, my legs are crisscross applesauce. I'm looking <laughs> at my screen. Um, I would say that was a pretty good segue there, Ben. Let's give it a seven. A seven. Give it a seven. Yeah. Too kind. Too kind. Uh, 
Oh, that's a, oh wait, this is the seven good or okay, yeah, sure, all right. So, uh, so let's let's segue even harder here mm. into something that I know nothing about outside of the experience of the um, people around me. Uh, gynecology. Uh, it's not even something that I really have any right to talk about. But I'm just going to tell you, and you probably already know this, hopefully, that the origins of gynecology are pretty horrific. Here are the facts. And the first thing you need to know, if you don't already, is that the origins of gynecology begin with slavery. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> there is a man, a, a man, who is considered to be the father of gynecology. He is hailed in this way. And his name is James Marion Sims. There are statues erected in this man's honor. And, you know, in, in overall concept, at least in the modern day, gynecology is a tremendously helpful and fantastic thing. Uh, overall, it, you know, enhances the health of women across the globe. However, this man, James, he practiced medicine when treating women was considered... Um, perhaps distasteful, which is a terrible thing to even think, but it was also rarely done. He invented something called the vaginal speculum, which is a tool used for examination, a very helpful tool. Yes, Sims also pioneered surgical techniques. Uh, one, one technique was to repair what's known as a vesicovaginal fistula. This was a common complication of childbirth in the 19th century. It's when a tear occurs between the uterus and the bladder and it causes constant pain. Uh, it causes problems with urination. Uh, it is overall a good thing in the world that techniques exist to address this issue. But... While Sims was doing this, he was conducting, as you said, Matt, he was conducting all of his uh, experimentation. That's really what it was. It was human experimentation. He was conducting it on enslaved women. And uh, some of these people went on to be his assistants. And doubtlessly, even in this, even in this horrific, unclean origin— uh, it, 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 I would say it is doubtless that his assistants probably pioneered some of the techniques that are credited to him today. Because, as you said, at the at the top of this discussion, we're dudes. So we only we're dudes. We're not OBGYNs. So we know this from an outsider or an intellectual rather than experiential perspective. It's incredibly misleading to characterize his experiments, these acts of cruelty, as research. Uh, this, this experimentation was done without anesthesia, and he didn't, like the idea of informed consent or the idea of therapeutic treatment is not something that occurs to Sims. He caused untold suffering of a great magnitude by operating under a racist notion that still persists in Western medicine today. The idea that someone based on their skin color may have a different experience with pain. Sims believed, or Sims seemed to believe, that black people did not feel pain, which, which is ridiculous. And you have to look at the you have to look at the studies of modern medicine, right, um, in, in Western Europe as well as in the United States. Uh, you will see medical professionals who do not believe their patients when they're saying, I have this condition. I am in tremendous pain. It, it, it echoes today. There is, there is a terrible ripple effect. I, <sighs> I just want to add, add to that. My, my wife is Cuban. And very recently, she has gone to the doctor on numerous occasions requesting assistance in the form of either medication or further, you know, studies on her just to see what is wrong. And she has been met with essentially, take some Tylenol, you'll be fine. Or uh, you just need more sleep, take some melatonin, you'll be fine. Um, and 
like just hearing it from her and knowing what she's going through and how she's feeling, it's it's uh, baffling to me that that is the way she is being treated. And it took several attempts, basically, for her to actually get help from a, a medical professional. And it's just very, uh, very disturbing that it continues. Yeah. You know, the worst part, Matt, is this is going to be familiar to a lot of our fellow listeners today, right? Listening to this, uh, you may have experienced this firsthand. And I've always, I've always had a problem with the the stereotype when they say, oh, you know, uh, certain people don't trust doctors because I think that's an incorrect way to frame it. The more accurate way to frame that idea is that doctors don't trust certain people statistically. And this is not a ding on the, the excellent medical professionals we have listening to the show today. This, this is based on some fairly robust studies over time. Uh, maybe it's an episode in the future, but we we wanted to use gynecology as just one example of something that has saved lives, undeniably saved millions of lives, but has its origins in a terrible, unforgivable thing. And this is only the beginning, right? We know German and U.S. companies helped the Nazis during World War II, for example. And you can read these corporations' various public statements about this, which we've talked about in the past. And they're all something along the lines of, uh, we didn't know it was a different time. It was a subsidiary we acquired later, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But save it. Miss me with that. Gynecology is one of the most well-known examples of a horrifying origin story, but it is by no means the only story of this kind. Many, many great institutions that do good things for the world around us have at their heart great crimes in their origin, and they remain active and they remain profitable in the modern day. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, 
So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Here's where it gets crazy. Well, uh, let's let's start with something we can all agree on, shall we? Yes? The environment. Mm. You know, the air we breathe, the water we drink. Oh, yeah. the flora and fauna, all the things that make up lay environment. Well, it's a good thing, I think, right? It's a good thing to have around. I, probably, yeah. Uh, and it seems as though we humans, the, the ones with the capacity to fully alter our surroundings and the environment, we should probably take care of it as best we can, right? The world is our responsibility in no small part. And... uh you know, we owe it to future generations. You owe it to my son. So listen up. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. I owe it to your daughter and, and your son, too. We all, we all owe it to each other to take care of it as, as best that we can. And there are many, countless groups out there, organizations, NGOs, uh, small companies that have this as their aim. How do we best take care of the environment? And one of those groups is known as the Sierra Club. You may have heard of it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so it's so weird that caring about the world around you somehow became a topic that was up for debate. It's true that, uh, that nefarious things have been conducted under the banner of environmentalism. But actually caring about the environment should not – there's not a political thing about it. We need the world more than the world needs us. If every human being on the planet, we're we're like, what, 20-something minutes into this podcast, if every human being on the planet vanished 25 minutes into this show, the rest of the world would be fine. You know what I mean? We're really just like, we're just, we should just clean up after ourselves. If a microcosmic example uh, is, is helpful here, and don't don't worry about the politicization of all this stuff. Think about the last time you had a roommate who didn't clean up after they, you know, were in the restroom or in the kitchen. Screw them, right? That's oh, what... fisticuffs all day. <laughs> fisticuffs about the dishes. Come on. And uh, and we looked into several of these groups numerous times in the past, and we found we found various. Uh, noble things. We found various unethical things because people are still people, right? For the most part, uh, we learned some weird stuff about the Sierra Club. As you said, Matt, it's one of the best known environmental groups in the United States. It's very old. It's a storied institution. It was founded back in 1892. And today it has around 2 million members. It has this innocent, ambitious motto that people of all creeds, nations, socioeconomic status, etc. can get behind. It's simply this, and I love it. Explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. That's cool. Yes! Captain Planet Unite! Yeah, Heart. we need the rings! We need the <laughs> rings. I hate, I hate jewelry, but I would wear a ring for Captain Planet. Sure, absolutely. Um, that's, that sounds amazing. Yes. Like you said, we can all get behind that. But there's there's some there's some issues, like we said, with its origins. Now, when we're talking about these groups, um, generally, we don't mean every member, right? We, we certainly don't mean every member of the Sierra Club when we're talking about this. We're talking about the foundations. So very uh, key players who are involved in any of these organizations, those are the folks we're focusing on. So... Here's the issue with the Sierra Club. A couple of key members of this thing were 
known racists is the best way to put it, I, I suppose. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, when they were talking about saving the world, they aren't necessarily talking about saving it for everyone. Uh, they were talking about saving it for a very specific group of people, generally the uh, more pasty ones, <laughs> the, the white ones. Uh, which which you can say. We, which we, I can say as, the, uh, you know, as the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Uh, one of the best phrases would be like virulent, avowed racist. Oh, like, okay. I thought you were going to say vir- virulent Lee White or something. <laughs> okay, cool. Maybe yeah. that. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with being who you are, and you can't change the circumstances of your birth or your DNA yet. But I say uh, that to myself in the mirror every morning. Continue. <laughs> but the, but uh, some of these key members, some of these founders, were hyper racist, like beyond beyond prejudice. You know, like uh, racist to the point where. Other people would say, well, I, you know, I agree with racism, but we could talk about other stuff. Like, what do you, what do you think of oatmeal? And they're like, no, 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 we're sticking with the racist thing. <laughs> so Jeez, yeah. I know, I know that's unfair, but it's somewhat true. So the Sierra Club's founder, one John Muir, often talked in explicit documented terms about non-white people. Uh, words that, frankly, we decided we're we're not going to give space to on air. In 1901, he said that white people shouldn't be afraid to visit national parks uh, because the well, we're going to have to paraphrase here. Uh, the native population are going to be mostly dead or civilized into useless innocence. Wow. We're we're choosing not to say these words. Uh, right. I do want to point out one of one of his phrase one of the phrases that he used or terms that he used was up until very recently the name of a extremely large restaurant chain uh, that you can look up if you're interested, which has since changed its name, by the way. And uh, of course, this uh, we see a similar pattern in the world of sports, right? Major league teams have uh, are changing or will change their names. So this line of thinking from Muir is, is it unfair to hold the current, uh, the, the current leaders of the Sierra Club responsible for things that happened before they were born that they could not in any way control? No, it's it's not fair in that regard. You know, it, you have to acknowledge that and be transparent about the institution. But the thing is, this line of thinking didn't stop with John Muir. It appeared to carry on into recent years. As recently as 1988, John Tanton, who was a who formerly a, uh, the National Population Committee chairman of the Sierra Club, asked, and this is on record, quote, what will happen when the white population goes into minority status and the groups that comprise the new coalition majorities don't share the same environmental values? That's right. Mm. Just wonder where he, where he even gets that. Um thinking i wonder where it comes from it's very us versus them which seems strange because of the enormous amount of cooperation inherent in say like saving preserving or repairing the environment these conservational values were often tied up and you know we're dunking on the sierra club here which it's an organization that does good work that's the weird thing about this episode all the organizations we're talking about, they do good stuff. Uh, but the environmentalist conservational values were often tied up in prejudicial, discriminatory beliefs that would be astounding in the modern day. And there, there were like – so there's environmentalism, right? Uh, make national parks, try to preserve wildlife and ecosystems – but another solution 
that was very popular was this idea of limiting the quote-unquote wrong kind of immigration. Yeah, the wrong kind of immigration. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. Back in the 1960s, there was a popular theory amongst the Sierra Club that immigration, to a large extent, drives unsustainable population growth. So in one area, more humans in equals too many humans. I mean, that to a rational mind, maybe, okay, well, that does make sense. You're adding to the population. There's mm. population growth. Sure. Mm. Um, the unsustainable part is is a bit arguable, depending on the place. But uh, you can see where the logic existed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the problem is that the perspective shifted to a hard line against immigration pretty much at all in the 1980s. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like it means they're more insular, right? They are, they are taking a very hard stance on population growth, right? In general, we're going to be talking a lot about population growth in this episode. Uh, but luckily as you know, the Sierra club continued to mature after, you know, 112 years or something <laughs> since John Muir was in there. Um, they did seem to very much write the course here. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. In 2013, the Sierra club announced its support for some immigration policies. It was a unanimous decision amid the group's board of directors, and it does mark a definitive break with their troubled, complicated history on immigration. However, not everyone took it well. Uh, One response from a Sierra Club member said the following, quote, this divisive present stance has no place in the purpose of the club to state that those voluntarily violating our laws should be rewarded with citizenship because they voluntarily came to our polluted country and must be protected as such is illogical in the scheme of environmentalism in the United States. The club has lost my support. So. In there, we see, in just that snapshot, in that response, we see uh, we see the perspective of someone who prioritizes protecting the environment, does not want more people around, right? To to your earlier statement about just the sheer math of it, right? The, yeah, but but ultimately, they're taking issue with the illegal way in which a person entered this country, right? That's what they're saying. Exactly. They're not, it's kind of like how Oregon was founded as a white supremacist utopia, which is true. I hate to say it, but it's true. Uh, The thing is, the logic is not consistent across this kind of viewpoint. It's not, uh, it's not keep everybody out. It's keep some people out. Another response is even, um, even more explicit. Yeah. Here's another quote. Like most environmental groups, the Sierra Club continues to ignore all the problems stemming from overpopulation in the United States and many other countries. This is nothing more than a call for amnesty for millions of welfare-dependent, overbreeding, illegal aliens who can't speak English and don't know what condoms are. Jesus. Wow. Tell us how you really feel, you know? Is, I, uh, let me level set here. Are these prominent members, or is this like a YouTube comment section? For, this is for... c- kind of like a YouTube comment section. Okay. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I, I picked the hot takes. Okay, okay. So, so we just need to point out there, this does not mean that these statements represent the Sierra Club. It not means at all. that supporters, certain supporters of the Sierra Club feel this way. Picture um, Smokey the Bear. Everybody from the U.S. knows Smokey, I think. Everybody not in the U.S., we have a mascot that is dedicated to, like, convincing people not to set the forest on fire. That's his whole job. So picture this guy. He's great. His name's Smokey the Bear. I think in the U.K. it's a frog or something. But uh, picture Smokey the Bear in the distance just shaking his head in slow, painful disapproval. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and again, like the we're just to continue here, the comments of a member, someone who pays member status mm-hmm. rather than a founder or you know a board member or something like that. It's very it's very different. It's a very different thing, um, and it doesn't hold as much weight. Uh, but it is troubling still to read that. Though I think you could probably find the organization to treat people nicely and not murder anyone would also have comments similar to this. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. You, you know, I, I've got a great comparison here. Well, I've got mm-hmm. a. Let's see what you think. You, okay, you okay. tell me whether this comparison is on the level. I was thinking about any large organization of people, right? The leaders and the civilians or the members or the constituents or whatever you want to call them. I think one of the best examples of this would be uh, senators or Congress people, because some person may vote for a senator, right, or a, a congressperson, and then they may have com- views that this member of Congress completely disagrees with. You know what I mean? They're like, I voted for you because I like your policy on snowplows. Also, I think you should consider eugenics. <laughs> and the senator is like, well, thanks for voting for me, I guess. Nah, nah, we're good. Have have a good one. Uh, The snowplow is on the way. The snowplow is on the way. So that's so now we've got one example from the world of medicine. We've got another example from the world of nonprofits, right? And and again, both in both of these examples, there are genuinely good things, like objectively good things. Let's make it safer to be alive. That's what both of those things ultimately equate to right but let's go let's let's shift a little or as they say in corporate america let's pivot to the world of academia ah Uh, we're gonna find some more synergies here yes 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 it's it's our wheelhouse (laughs) oh gosh uh we probably mentioned it before but for for years um, matt and i have been like compiling and collecting these various corporate Corporate terms. Uh, what were some of your favorites? Can we just stop for a second and just uh, talk about this? I love cadence. Terms. cadence. I love when people say cadence. Yeah, you know, I've actually, that comes up a lot with us because we talk about episode count and when it comes out mm-hmm. all the time. So mm-hmm. we talk about, it, or you know, it feels like a good cadence mm-hmm. uh, to have Tuesday and Thursday or whatever. <laughs> oh, and Signal. Signal is a relatively newer one. It's like, we have signaled the blah, blah, blah. Oh, God, I've been using that a lot, too. Ew. It goes around, man. It goes around. Don't beat yourself up. Uh, The other one, the one that still mystifies me, though, is somewhere along the line in the past few years, a specific kind of question just became an ask. Mm, That's a big ask. That's a big ask. big ask. (laughs) Yeah. Jeez. Well, let's, yeah, speaking of, let's get into, yeah, academia, because my vocabulary certainly stems in the beginning from STEM. No, I'm just showing you. Hey, Uh, there it is. But from my my education, that's Mm -hmm. where it begins. And it was furthered when I went to college. College is a fantastic thing, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. and it should be available to every human being on the planet if you know however possible especially if you live in the united states it should be you it should be paid for by the government i think oh oh man hot take sorry oh <laughs> don't get mad at me i think that would be smart if we pooled our money and sent all of our you know younger kids to college i think that would be smart i i would say you know i'm with you there i would take it a little further i would say a higher education in general is a good thing because you know look for the past decade or so, more than the past decade, uh, there, there's been this um, narrative perpetrated on the American people, which says that one must attend a university, one must attend a college. Uh, and that, that is simply not true. Uh, we have a great need for the trades. We have a, and that, uh, and that is absolutely higher education you know what i mean i think we're i think we're thinking about it incorrectly i yeah. think the trades should be colleges a part of a college like it should be yeah. seen as an equal pursuit um because if you could become a master of 
you can become a master of really anything. And like you said, those trades are highly necessary and needed right now. Um, we just need to think about them as though it is truly higher education and something to be lauded. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agreed. And with that being said, let's visit the ivory tower. Let's travel. You know what, Matt? Let's go to Georgetown University specifically. Ooh, I've heard of that place. This is one of the country's most um, well-known, prestigious centers of higher learning. This is a place where if you if you attend there, you have massive advantages after your education simply because of the name, the networking, the association with this institution. The family members that probably went there. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> Not probably. Well, I mean, they're definitely legacy hires. And, and it's a difficult school to get into. It has very high standards. Not for nothing is it considered a, a world-class institution. Today, it's known for churning out students, shooting them straight from the lecture hall boom, to some of the highest positions in the world of nonprofits and Wall Street, private industries, the U.S. government. If it were a business, then we could say that business is booming. And, and you're right, Matt. Many of these alumni go on to send their kids to Georgetown, or they participate in the feedback loop and they keep the money and the influence spinning in a circular fashion. They donate large amounts of money or they assist with construction for the school. Things are looking pretty great for Georgetown U. Oh, yeah, they are. I'm just going to put forward here that, uh, you know, all those donations we're talking about probably have a lot to do with why the kids get in. <clears throat> That's my opinion. Anyway, moving on. Um, the thing is Georgetown university, this thing wasn't always an organization of this high esteem. It was built. It had to be created. It had to, um, do good and, and have students who were successful to have that reputation, to build that reputation. Here's the deal. The school didn't have a bunch of money and it didn't have, it was lacking a lot of things and it almost got shut down in 1838. Like we said, it's been around for a long time. And, you know, let's say you're a university in college. Uh, what do you do to get extra funds? Have some kind of fundraiser? You mm -hmm. know, call up those alumni and say, hey, I know you're you're in Congress now. It would be great to get a little something-something mm -hmm. uh, for the university mm -hmm. for the generations next. Um, well, what Georgetown University unfortunately did in 1838 when they were in trouble is they sold human beings to stay afloat. Yeah, so Georgetown was founded in January of 1789, and the road to success was rocky for the institution. They did participate in the slave trade, and they did it more than once. It wasn't just 1838. We are on such a here's where it gets worse mission today, man. Uh, so... They had conducted individual slave trade transactions before, and it turns out that more than a dozen universities, including Ivy League players like Harvard and Columbia, have publicly recognized their ties to slavery and to the slave trade. But the 1838 transaction from the, uh, the people who are running Georgetown, it stands out due to the sheer number of human beings involved. Ben, did, did you mention already that the, the group, the Jesuits, uh, helped out in this pursuit? Oh, no, yes. Very good point. Speaking of another institution with some yeah. skeletons in the closet, yes, uh, the, the Jesuit order ran Georgetown at the time of this transaction, this the crime, and uh, they were instrumental in in the in the uh, series of events and just so you know we have a whole episode on this group the jesuits called uh the jesuits fact and fiction you can find it i believe in many places it came out a long time ago mm. in oh goodness 2014 so what uh, wow so you may have to uh you may have to wait for the classic to come out if you're an apple podcast only listener but otherwise you can find it on other uh podcast outlets like iHeartRadio's app. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Uh, didn't mean to derail us there. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it was perfect. I'm just, I am in awe. I think you win this. The if if I did if I did a seven on the segue, you, my friend, just did an eight point five. Ooh. Uh, on the on the mentions. On the, on, the, on the call on the outs, the iHeart app. <laughs> on the call outs, yeah. Uh, so, so we are, you know, we do want to be honest with you folks. We're working to inject a little bit of levity in in this episode because these are truly um, these are unclean things. So here's what happens in a desperate bid to survive and become. The amazing institution it is today, Georgetown sold off 272 people in 1838. They shipped these people to the Deep South. They consigned them to a life of horror on plantations in cotton country. And the thing is, at Georgetown, in this time, slavery and scholarship were inextricably linked yeah well it wasn't just selling the slaves it was then using slaves to make money um and then using that money to make the institute just function on a regular basis they were they relied on these jesuit plantations and most a lot of them were, were in maryland they these things would finance everything the operations it's so weird. There were even people at Georgetown who were working with Georgetown who quote unquote donated slaves to this pursuit. Mm-hmm. And this eighteen thirty eight transaction netted the college more than a little, a little more than three million dollars in today's time. So this was massively profitable. You know what you're thinking? The the people doing this are members of a spiritual order, one that believes in good and noble things. So surely some priests objected, right? That's correct, fortunately. Yes, some priests did object uh, vocally, vociferously, and they tried their best to prevent the sale of human beings. That sounds good to hear, until you understand why they had a problem with it exactly. It's not quite what you think. Yeah. Please join me in throwing up in your mouth a little bit as we go through this. <clears throat> they weren't objecting to the physical dangers they were putting these people in by tr- you know, trading them to force them to go and work. They weren't even objecting to the concept of selling human beings at all. What they were worried about was religion. They were worried about the southern owners of these plantations forcing the slaves, the people that they were selling, to practice Protestantism instead of Catholicism, because that would have been really, really bad. Yeah, that was the line. You know, one thing, one fantastic thing that Georgetown has done, however, is to acknowledge and address this and study this and learn from it. There's an historian at Georgetown named Adam Rothman who noted Quote, the university itself owes its existence to this history. And Georgetown has been taking steps to evolve. In 2019, just last year, oh, two years ago now, the college announced it would launch a new fundraising effort to assist the living descendants of the 272 enslaved people who were sold by the school's founders, which I think is, you know, um, I think that speaks highly to the institution. Yeah, no, it, it really does. It's some of it is so counterintuitive when you think about it because you hear fundraising effort. Oh, they're going to raise other people's money to pay for their thing that they mm, did. Mm-hmm. But you know, it is a it is a college, and it does cost a lot of money for for one of these things to function. So you can't just pull all of the money out unless you're going to risk closing the school down or forcing it to shut down for a bit. But goodness, it something like that just gives me mixed feelings, I suppose. But the, the, here's the great thing. It, Georgetown changed its tune and a lot of this was occurring because of internal pressure from students they are educating, which is actually a great, it's a fantastic sign, right? Mm-hmm. That the organization itself 
maybe is evolving alongside its students. Yeah, the the students of Georgetown voted six six months before that announcement in 2019. The students of Georgetown voted to institute a twenty seven dollar and twenty cents student fee that would go entirely to supporting the the descendants of the victims of this crime. And honestly, it it is uh, it is an amazing step. I, I, I know it's it, there's no way you can change the past, but this is an important step in the right direction. So we have uh, some light at the end of the tunnel with Georgetown, right? We've explored medicine. We've explored the environment. We've explored academia. Now we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and we'll return with uh, one more. And it is a doozy. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we're back. Hey, remember at the top of this episode when I mentioned we were going to talk about population control again? Well, we're here. Let's, uh, let's introduce a little organization called Planned Parenthood. You know it. You've heard of it regardless of your personal values, your personal beliefs. Uh, you are familiar in some way with this organization. It was founded by Margaret Sanger, who opened her first birth control clinic in 1916. Uh, then she went on to form the American Birth Control League in 1921. In 1942, the name was changed to Planned Parenthood. 
Today, the organization is active in some capacity in multiple countries. It operates over 600 health clinics through its affiliate network in the U.S. alone. It's best known, of course, for reproductive health services, for sex ed, sexual education. It is the largest single provider of these services in the U.S., and it also works to prevent the spread of disease. It also offers cancer screenings. It is, uh, for many people, a life-saving institution. Make no mistake, this organization has done so much good Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. It it truly has. And if you cannot acknowledge that or see that, there's you, you, you. I urge you to re-examine or rethink the the good parts because there truly has been great things that this this organization has done. Pretty cool not to have cancer. That's one. Well, uh, yeah, and and yeah. just reproductive health in general for for women and to be able to take control of their lives and their bodies. This, I mean. This is this institution is instrumental uh, mm-hmm. in, in just empowering women. Yeah, that's objectively true. But the thing about this life-saving institution is that the founder didn't want to save everybody's life. Uh, Sanger wanted to, to save the right kind of lives as she saw it because she was a eugenicist. Yes, eugenics was this discipline. I would say from back in the day, but unfortunately, it still exists in 2021. Um, it was championed by a lot of people, prominent people, scientists who existed in the world and who were at the tops of their fields. Um, it is now widely debunked, uh, but it promoted good breeding. This is in quotes, good breeding and aimed to prevent poor breeding. Now, good and poor breeding, that sounds a little subjective, uh, that's because it is. Yeah, that's the thing. There's not, it's not a good scientific basis for eugenics as described, desired, and practiced by um, by people in Sanger's time. Sanger, like, the basic idea is that the overall human species can be improved through encouraging reproduction in people with traits like. Well, to their to their mind, it was stuff like intelligence, hard work, and cleanliness. They, the, we don't have a full scientific understanding of intelligence, and hard work and cleanliness are pretty much opinions. <laughs> pretty much opinions. So the uh, the most terrifying example of eugenics motivated crimes are acts of genocide. That, that, is, that is one ultimate destination for that line of thinking. Sanger thought that poverty and what she described as unwantedness were the main reasons children might grow up to be in some way, to her opinion, morally or physically defective. And so Sanger came up with a solution. There was an idea where if someone exhibited birth defects of one kind or another, uh, Sanger would advocate that they be sent away, literally sent away to a farm somewhere very, very far away and segregated from the rest of the population to make sure that they are unable to even physically have uh, relations with someone and therefore children. Um, And if they were going to mingle within all the other people in society, they would need to be sterilized. Right. Yeah. So what, what is a defect to Sanger? A defect uh, could be anything, uh, a physical deformity, even if it's one that is not genetically uh, reproducible, right? A physical deformity or a perceived lack of moral fiber, whatever the hell that is. So there was huge potential for people to be carted off just because their behavior did not fit into social norms of the time. This bit of history had a dubious moment in the spotlight when the politician Ben Carson claimed that Sanger was racist in part of a a larger attack on Planned Parenthood to support uh, Carson's aim of making abortion illegal in the United States. So if you check with primary sources— by which we mean things written 
by Sanger herself about her views. Her attitudes on race are doubtlessly problematic and paternalistic today, but at the time they might have been seen as somewhat progressive. For example, in 1946, she wrote that all women, regardless of their ostensible race, should have a voice in how many children they have. I feel like that's a very reasonable thing, right? Like if you're if you're if you're listening and you uh, have or you plan to have children, then doesn't it feel like the number of children you have should be kind of up to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, 100%. We're mentioning some things that Margaret Sanger said. There are lots of places you can go online to do further research. I would recommend a an opinion piece from USA Today. It is called Remove Statuses of Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood Founder Tied to Eugenics and Racism. Again, this is an opinion piece on USA Today. So keep that in mind if you do choose to read it. What I would recommend is look at the supporting links that are in the article, because that is the kind of thing that Ben is referring to here. These are actual words that you can find that were spoken by Margaret Singer. Yeah. And this, with this, we're drawing our episode to a close. We have just scratched the tip of the iceberg here. And again, there's a dilemma. The conundrum is the following. The institutions, every institution that we have mentioned in today's show has inarguably objectively done awesome, amazing things for the world and the people within it today. And we can't, we cannot discount this work, uh, this, this tremendously good work for the world, but we also cannot be blind to the, uh, to the origins of some of these movements. And, We know that there are many, many more out there. We would like to hear from you. Uh, In in our examples today, the institutions have all made or attempted to make amends for their past. But what other stories are out there? What What are some more strange, disturbing origin stories that you're aware of? What would you like to share with our fellow listeners? Let us know. You can find us on the internet. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We like to recommend Here's Where It Gets Crazy, uh, where you can hang out, see some very weird stuff, see some news. It's been rated uh, the best page on the internet uh, five times in a row uh, by us arbitrarily at the end of some of our shows. Yeah, uh, definitely not Forbes magazine they had nothing to do with it um i I before you do that i want to recommend one more one more piece to read just i'm so sorry we didn't get to spend a lot of time on margaret sanger Uh, i want to recommend a piece from the atlantic called abortions racial gap this is another just important piece of information that you could add into the puzzle that is your mind uh, when thinking about all of this stuff it's worth it Uh, check it out If you don't want to find us on social media because that's not your thing, you can always give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. Leave a message. It may go into one of our listener mail episodes. Please let us know what you'd like to be called, as well as if you give us permission to use your voice on, on the show. That would be fantastic. And do know and be aware, if you call in, the number from which you call gets logged so I can see it Ben can see it we can see your, the number that you call in from if you wish to obfuscate that you can you know use a different number like a Google voice number or something like that otherwise you might get a call back on yourself from me so uh, good luck to you somewhat ominous there man well if you get a call from me it's like it's game over man we're gonna <laughs> <Right>. talk <laughs> so, uh, if you uh, don't care for social media, if you don't care for telephones, but you have a story you need to share, or even better, a suggestion for a topic we can cover in the future, there's always one other way to contact us. It is our good old-fashioned email address, where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.